Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thanks again for joining us in another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to do that in the world of, of sports, of comedy, of authors who are writing and people with great testimonies and stories, music and the like. And uh, today is a big deal. We have our first guest that returns to us. I must have not screwed up because they're back. And uh, we are actually easy, fair to say, friends now and uh, have done some ministry work together. And I'm super excited to have on as my guest today, Matthew Sleeth. Welcome back, Matthew. Jeff, great to be with you. Yes, I would say we're friends. Can I tell people about how you dragged my body out of that burning plane? And uh... <laughs> uh, You probably don't want to do that. Okay. If we let it sit for a while, people might start thinking there's something to that. And with me, I guess all things are possible. So, um, what, well, hey, we'll eliminate some questions. There's a lot of things like testimony we've we've done. We don't need to jump into it. But I did want to ask you, Matthew. So we taped that episode, if I remember correctly, in late November, right after Thanksgiving or right before. I think it was right after. And then it was released in January. And how is your life ministry what you're doing, what, give us like a recent update. Like how, how is that going now in the last six months? How are things different? Wow. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with today. Today is my 41st wedding anniversary. Yes. So it's beginning to look like it's going to make it. Um, <laughs> That's a good sign. I, yes. 41 years. <laughs> And um, also uh, another really lovely thing is that just a few days ago, my children uh, made it back for a furlough. They're missionaries in Africa, and I have three grandchildren, and one of them I had not met yet, who's eight months old, uh, Simon, and he's just the happiest, plumpest little guy. And uh, it's just lovely to have a family reunited uh, you know, and, and as you as you mentioned, I've I've done, you know, some ministry work in in your area, and it, and I think it's just been lovely, and um, I've gotten to know you and a number of other people there. Um, it, more than just you know, often I'm just someplace I speak once and I leave, but I had this feeling when I came uh, to Springfield that that I would be coming back, and that has already proven to be true and a bit and a great blessing to me Amen. you know what's fun about that is so uh yesterday at a cookout i was with jeremy and julie hudson and their family and rob and jenny rue and where we kind of gathered after we ate where it was a little bit cooler and there was some shade was there's laying on the table outside reforesting faith 
and conversation was happening about, you know, Rob looking to, to bring you back and, and Jeremy talking about, you know, the next idea of you coming back and speaking and preaching at fellowship. And it's, you know, here we are and we're kind of, we can roast and toast you and Nancy without you even being there. So yeah, there is, <laughs> there is a richness and a depth and a, and a breadth of relationships already, I think in Springfield, the Miami Valley, uh, with you having been there. I love it. I, uh, I, I want to wear a path, uh, on the road between here and there yeah. over the next uh, decade or so. I love when you said that a few weeks ago about the tires getting worn and driving up <laughs> and down, you know, 75, which is good for us. And I got to give a shout out to, uh, Tessa, who I work with and you had dinner uh, a couple weeks ago at our house. And I'll just tell you, she is killing it being encouraged by you. I mean, she was already kind of getting there, but this finger food Friday thing she's doing at her house. I went again Friday night. Kara had to go do some chauffeuring uh, a bit of a distance away for a party my daughter was going to. And I decided to go to finger food Friday. And uh, it was cool at Tussin and Andy's house. Uh, Andy's, some of his extended family was there. And a couple I met before at the previous first finger food Friday, I should say. And and uh, just simple and easy and just taken in hospitality. And I stayed for probably only an hour and a half this go round, but uh, you know, it's, it, I love when someone like you comes in, you invest time, you invest a message, energy, and then relationship and people are doing practical things from what you did uh, in, in your investment here. So do, do you hear many things about that when you go somewhere and you know, you're, you're going to fit in hospitality into any conversation do you hear people coming back later and telling you, Hey, we just started doing this or we started doing yeah, that. A, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I got to tell, let, indulge me and let me tell a story Please. and then tell a connection to it. Okay. Please. Well, I raised my kids uh, on the coast of Maine. We lived in South Freeport village and there was a little mom and pop store there creatively named mom and pop store. <laughs> They prayed about that name for quite a while and said, we got our name. Oh, man. The, the focus teams finally came up with that. So mom and pop were a kind of interesting uh, couple in that they never quite figured out that they had landed in paradise. Mm. And um, the store was two blocks from the harbor, ideal location and everything. And uh, remember, mom was always complaining. She said, if 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 one more person asked me if we sell bait, I'm going to explode. And, and she said, you know, if I had a dime for every time somebody asked me, do we sell bait? I'd be rich. And, you know, they eventually sold their store because they weren't making any money out of it. Well, the next person that buys the store, guess what they start selling? <laughs> bait. Let me guess. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's asking for it and everything. And so I realized that I was doing a similar type of thing. We got a, a letter from a, a, a lovely woman who I haven't even gotten back from, and she's a pediatric psychiatrist, and she wanted to know what she could do to help blessed earth. And um, we get one of those letters every couple of weeks, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell these people. Uh, I don't have any work for them. Uh, we don't run a, you know, I don't, I don't need to have a bake sale or people licking stamps or, or whatever. But I realized that the people who are writing and asking if they can help have tremendous skills and everything. And I, I met uh, just a couple of weeks ago with a, 
with a circuit court judge and he wanted to do the same thing. What could it, what can he do to help? And I realized that I'm like mom and pop, you know, that, that, that I got to figure out something to do with all these people who, you know, kind of catch the vision that, that their life can be richer and deeper and, um, and more meaningful and that they can serve God in a better capacity. If they do some of the things, you know, we talk about, so I'm going to be praying and going through a process of what do I do with these people who, who want to help? Uh, and, and you and I will probably have an off the air conversation sure. uh, about that. So let me ask you, so again, this is where I like to go off script with and see what Holy Spirit's doing in the moment. Um, so I just started going through recently with one guy individually and then a group of guys, the Mark Batterson, uh, 40 day draw the circle prayer uh, challenge. And it kind of ties to his famous book that did really well called Circle Maker. Matthew, do you ever get stuck dreaming? Like, I think people, and I'll get to this in a, a little bit more in a minute about how much I think people are just easily for you. But when people say things like that, do you ever have moments where you're like, gosh, I'm just not dreaming or what I'm thinking about or uh, passionate for can easily happen in my own power and I need to get beyond that and be so big that God has to show up for this to happen. Or does that just come naturally? Or, I mean, where are you at with that? Well, I think that I feel a little uncomfortable uh, at some level when people say, what can I do to help? And what's your legacy going to be? Because my legacy, you know, most important legacy is my children mm -hmm. and, and my grandchildren. And, uh, you know, I think that's our first priority is to make sure our kids are, are you know, serving the Lord faithfully. Um, and that doesn't have to be full-time ministry, you know, but so I guess there's a little bit of being uncomfortable with it. And this, the second thing is that I never had a model for what I'm doing. And so I'm always trying to figure it out. And I think I'm going to start relying on other people mm. uh, more. We, we, at one time, Blessed Earth had, I think almost 25 employees and it was a nightmare for me. I'm not a people manager and there's an enormous difference between people that you hire mm. versus people that catch a vision and have a passion unrelated to finances or them working. And I've really got to figure out that how do, how do you, how do you work with people and harness their talents and that sort of thing who who just want to help they're not looking for a job they just want to help and so um, i say I, it just it just hit me like a hammer that i've been mom and pop saying gee if if one more person writes to me saying they want to work for free yeah <laughs> you know um you can't hire these people they only can come from the lord so that's something i'm gonna have to work through with other people that are wiser than me i'm great at a vision but i am not great at some of the follow-through which is why god uh, gave me nancy and and people like you in my life well and i think what you're saying help with that i think what you're saying or matthew is it's just kind of a, a, an offshoot of who you are, where you and Nancy do such a great job with hospitality. This is a form of hospitality and you're just inviting people in to do life. And clearly you and I feel that with each other, friendship wise, similar heartbeat, you know, how can we grow the kingdom together? And, and uh, you know, that goes into my next question. So since you've been here and you and I've gotten to know each other offline and, and whatnot that way, the things I hear people say about you, I was thinking about what do people tell me about you? 
And I think you have a relatability and one of the first words people use about you, and we've talked about this, and I think you receive it for what it is, is there's an awkwardness that right away kind of disarms people and makes people feel like, okay, I can connect with this guy. And then it's like your resume comes. It's like, man, this guy's accomplished a lot. He's intelligent. He's got a deep theology and love for Jesus. He's had success. But that kind of awkward, uh, you know, like I laugh every time I think about you now, I think about going into your car a couple times and finding something you needed out of your car books or whatever. And, uh, you know, you, you aren't far from me. You're, you're just some unorganization in there. And I can see where Nancy does keep you in line. And every time I've opened up your car door or your trunk and you've needed something, the one time you needed like a snack and, you know, Nancy set you up well with some snacks and some drinks. And I'm like, oh man, he really does need her. <laughs> oh, it, absolutely. Yeah. And she's it, the better three quarters. That's, and, uh, and it makes well, me, go ahead. And that, that's just, you know, I think that's the iron sharpening iron too, that, that when we find people that have a different set of skills than us and we value those skills in another uh, person, uh, that's just the way God wanted the kingdom to work. Uh, all, all the devils are similar and all the saints are unique, you know, that God gives us each a unique set of talents and never gives any one person all of them. So we mm. need each other. Amen. Well, it just fits well with who you are and invitation and, and uh, hospitality. And so, Matthew, since you do seem so comfortable and you are relatable and what you see is what you get, is there any way you're not comfortable with yourself? Well, there's certainly a regret that I spent so many years not knowing or serving the Lord and that I, you know, it isn't that that time is completely wasted because God has redeemed a, a, a number of the things that I learned um, or that I was doing. But, you know, if I was a bright guy, I would have gotten this uh, 40 years earlier. And, and so... I don't know that it's uncomfortable, but there's certainly a reminder that that other people are much, much further ahead that they they figure out who got they figured out who God was when they were six years old. And I was still picking my nose uh, then. <laughs> so but I think there's no doubt your relationship with the Lord is very much living and active. Uh, you know, a la 2 Timothy 3.16. And I think for a lot of people who come to the Lord at an early age, it's kind of this mantle or this banner or this trophy on a wall that has not been updated, not passionate, not moving forward at all. And that's clearly just not who you are. I mean, I think everybody speaks to what they've seen in you that's like, really, this guy's only been walking with the Lord 21 years. He's so deep in his theology and his love. And that's the beauty of it. It's a, It's a juxtaposition of theology and love it's not one or the other it's both with you that just draws people in well thank you i'm i'm uh you know everything that's good about me and everything that's good about you i think we owe to the lord um period and and we just you know just have to point people in that direction that's where the good comes from let's let's give an update here on suicide mental health and depression which are some things you're really talking a lot about through hope always uh, you can go to CBD, you can go to Blessed Earth, you can go to Amazon. Uh, that, that book's just, and we're going to get more into that book in a little bit again, just updates here. But since you've been here the first time, and probably even since the second time, I've put a couple people in touch with you about suicide. You obviously worked closely with one of our chairs, business partners here who's dealt with that. Speak to just even the last couple months where suicide and mental health 
has ramped up for you, your ministry, your speaking even more? And how that impacts yeah. you? Yeah, I think uh, in the suicide epidemic, if you will, is not easing up at all. It's just uh, just so many people having to deal with that now um, and deal with it in children at, a, at an age that, you know, previously would have been unheard of, you know, people dealing with seven, eight, nine-year-olds that are thinking about taking their, their life. And there's a very um, sad and disheartening aspect to that. But that's, that's where Christ comes in and that light shines. And, uh, and to, to get, you know, these difficult stories from people, but to see them leaning on the Lord and leaning on their communities of faith and professionals um, is, is heartening. But I got to tell you, it's, it's very discouraging to live in a country where people in mass have decided that life is not worth living. I don't know if you saw last week, and I, and I don't want to get too much off onto this because it's obviously challenging and there's a lot of gray, but I watched last night, um, I think I got it through Twitter, I had heard about Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors basketball coach, after the multiple shootings that have happened in our country, uh, was that probably a week, week and a half ago, he came out at a press conference and he came out right away and just said, look, we got a game tonight, you guys interviewed me 10 hours ago. There's not a lot more I can say about basketball, but I can speak to guns and I can speak to shootings. And he went off for about five minutes and he just at one point said, we have got to do something. And again, not to make this about that, because that's a big, big topic that I don't know much of anything about or whatever. But I feel like with where you are, who you are, those of us that have seen and dealt with people who are dealing with suicide, it feels like it's to that point where we got to stick the hammer down pound our hands on a table like a judge and say, we've got to do something. And and it's tough because it's not like there's a conversation or a big community effort that just automatically gets it done. It's so much at the table, so much at conversation. Are you feeling like in the last two months, the last six months, you're seeing even a growing intensity to people like, okay, something's really got to change here. Yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, this, it's it's becoming you know that we have the mass shooting of the week or the day or a number in a week and in hope always i talk about this continuum of everything from the the healthiest human being to the least healthy mm-hmm. spiritually and mentally and and the least healthy is not only somebody who is unconcerned about their own life but uh, is has no regard for other people's lives. And I think we're seeing this, um, that the more individual suicides we have, the more of these mass shootings, and, and often those end with people taking their own lives or their lives being uh, lost um, be, because of police um, stopping them. Uh, and, I, and I don't know what level we have to get to where society yeah, just says we, we can't take this anymore, but society is going to have to say we have to back up somewhere here um, it, or, or we, we have to be willing to change. And, and I don't get involved in politics. I don't get involved in policy, but I will tell you that a country without God, without a moral compass, 
um, is 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 what we're seeing right now. Well, and I and I saw posts after these shootings, and I think it applies to a lot of different areas where we really struggle. I think we're so dichotomous. Like we'll say on one hand, we believe in life and we believe in individuals and we believe expressing yourself and saying and doing and being who you are. And then we'll do things that totally speak against life. And it's like, how do we not realize the countercultural two different messages, talk out both sides of your mouth, say one thing, mean another that we're just doing. It just seems so heightened in so many areas as of late. Uh, Yes. And, and uh, I think that that uh, you can look at this and it can become overwhelming because you see an entire nation like this, but God put us each where we are. And it's it's got to start in our home. It's got to start in our neighborhood. It's got to start in our community that we are trumpeting the sanctity of life. And for those of us who are Christians, that that this life comes from Christ and it's a gift and that sort of thing, and I think now is the time for Christians to be very bold and you know, we got to double down on on God's love, that God is distressed by what He's seeing. I'm sure, um, and you know you often hear that our thoughts and our prayers are with you, but I believe in that old, old saying from the North Carolina minister that when we pray for a good crop, we got to say amen with a hoe in our hands. It's mm. time for us to, to get busy and, and do actual things um, that, that change community and that build community. Say that again. I want that repeated by you, not me. It was actually Jay Vernon McGee who tracked down <laughs> where that saying comes from because it's a very widely used saying, but that when we pray for a good crop, we say amen with a hoe in our hands, that we, we can't look to God to be the thaumaturgist, which means God, the miracle maker only, mm-hmm. um, that God wants to involve you and me and your listeners in building a better kingdom, one that resembles heaven. And, and uh, that's why I think hospitality is so important, because we've got to reach out, we got to know what's going on in uh, our the people's lives who we're in church with and at the very start um, or are in our physical neighborhoods, that sort of thing. See, this fits well. So our initial connection is from you preaching at Southeast Christian and Kyle Eidelman's new book or newer book. It's been out for a while now called One at a Time. He talks in there about whenever Jesus had compassion and you see his heart moved and his heart touched, action followed. There was never like compassion and nothing happened with Jesus. He always acted on what he felt. And I just think that's, that's why I love you saying, I'd never heard that line before about the North Carolina farmer, but that's really good. Well, if we stay where we are, Matthew, we're going to get deep down and dirty and not have some lightness. And you definitely bring some lightness to the table. So let's, let's go with my new, I'm releasing my new rapid five today. Uh, I'm going to still use the cereal and the books and uh, things like that that are fun for guests who are on for the first time, but for you as a returning guest, you get a new rapid five. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're quick. Here we go. You get to be Matthew on any game show, past or present, and it's one not only that you love, but you think you can win. What game show are you going to be on? And maybe Nancy needs to help answer that one. I, I do fairly well at Jeopardy actually really uh, i'm not surprised yeah as long as as long as they don't have a sports line because <laughs> all, all i know is babe ruth and that's about it <laughs> can i be honest do you know what i wanted to hear you say 
Family what? Feud. Family Feud. Oh, if I could be on with my family, I wouldn't have to say where they'd they'd win. I'm sure. Yeah. Now the <laughs> only problem, the, the only problem there is, I think I think it caps out at like twenty or twenty five thousand, and you don't get to return. You're on one time, and you're done. Where Jeopardy, you get to return, and I think if I'm right, it's pretty easy math. You can do way better on Jeopardy financially. So yeah, I I actually had a a, a teacher in my residency who loved trivia, and he had tried out for uh jeopardy and they didn't let him on because he never missed a question what? and uh yeah <laughs> they thought it would be fun or fair to other people but i guess now they let people on even if they are super geeks well yeah so. just let him go against that one guy ken and then there's that woman from dayton who just won a bunch and yeah it'd be easy i think you'd i'd love to see you get on that show can we get it can we get people listening on here to get, do a petition or do some kind of drive to get matthew on jeopardy <laughs> If you would have been on there before Alex Trebek, they would have ended up having you as the host once he passed away. There you go. I Well, I, uh, I also could have frozen up in front of the camera, uh, so you never know. I doubt it. I doubt it. So number two, number two of the Rapid Five, your Mount Rushmore of lunches. You get to have lunch with any three people. Tell me who they are and where you have a lunch. And let's try to keep it. You know, I know you could go family on this one, so let's try to keep it to maybe some known heroes or people that are goofy or funny or people you just think would be interesting to have lunch with. And these are people that are alive. We'll, we'll let you go living or dead, living or dead. Wow. Um, well, I think most Christians would pick Jesus from the get go. So I, I'm going to have to skip uh, yeah. Jesus. Cause that, that's not, uh, that's not very creative. Holy spirits uh, with you no matter what. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I would have, uh, I'd love to talk to that first person who handled fire. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I expected you to say. Yeah. You know, what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. did you get it? How did you convince, you know, uh, that, that, you know, just that sort of beginning of, of uh, harnessing technology would have been you know that that was the Elon Musk sure. or whatever of the of the Neanderthal world or or whatever. Um, I would just there's there's a number of artists that I I love art and I've uh, I've got something like four thousand photos on my phone from art museums uh, around the world and and so I'd have to put an artist in there and I think the Van Eyck brothers mm. uh, they were the first uh first painters really to perfect oil painting and um they have one uh painting that they did the ghent altar piece which has been stolen all or in part 13 times in its history and it's uh, it's about 500 years old and uh, the movie the monuments men was really made about that was the main piece of art they were trying to get back was the the ghent altar piece um so that's kind of uh, a, a little esoteric. Most people probably wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, give me one more. Uh, la, 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 la. Um, um, C.S. Lewis. Okay. Yeah, de definitely. I'm um, not surprised to hear you say that one. Yeah, just I had an uncle that that was when he was a Rhodes Scholar had uh, Tolkien as his tutor, 
Um, and, and I think that's just uh, occasionally you have a few geniuses come together and sure. Tolkien and Lewis and a few of those. No doubt. Um, and I would have would have loved to have um, asked uh, Lewis a number of questions. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, by the way, when you're uh, and I think we'll, we'll be fine saying this date because this should release before then. But August 21st, when you're in Cincinnati at Chevy at United Methodist Church, my friends, Carrie and Jeff Jenna. You know, Cincinnati has a great art museum. I don't know if you've been to it before, but uh, that day you should go hit up uh, Cincinnati Art Museum downtown. Oh, I, I love that museum. And just I was just there a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Again, just uh, just love it. Yeah. And they have a couple of absolute treasures. They, they have a rock crystal bowl uh, carved that's the largest on the planet. But they have a little um, bronze statue from Egypt of somebody who's hungry and starving and and probably from that time of of the uh, uh, where the, Joseph has talked about. It seems to me that's dated about that time. So there's just a number of uh, treasures there. And there's a, a favorite painting of mine there, the uh, Mary and Joseph escaping to Egypt by mm -hmm. Tanner. And, and Tanner is a, a painter I really lived about a century ago, really loved. You know what's sad about this? I've been there twice, and I loved it both times, and I feel like now I hadn't even been. The way you just talked about it, I thought, I better go back with you and really take it in because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to appreciate a whole lot more after going with you. You know, it's as close as we have to a time machine when, when we can look at what an artist was looking at and 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 they can project us back 100 to 300 years or thousands of years even that's as close as we have to a time machine so speaking of time machines question number three go back in time over the course of your lifetime and you get to go to cbs nbc abc old school whatever it is and you get to watch any news story play out again for whatever that would look like for you to reflect on that moment what's the moment and who's the news person giving you that information in 1969 i think i was 12 13 maybe even 14 years old but along with every other kid on the uh, in the united states we were woken up to see the moon landing and it really was a huge leap forward for mankind and walter cronkite oh. was the uh the announcer and i wouldn't and I, and i don't think it was faked by the way yeah I'm one of those people who personally saw yeah. saw it at least through the television, yeah. and um, it's very interesting. This this uh, ties into the Bible and a concept I've really thought about. If you walk out into the night sky on a very clear night, and I was able to do that actually a couple of nights ago. I wasn't here in the city, but I was outside uh, in the country of, of Kentucky, and look up at the stars. It's just absolutely beautiful, but. Uh, you can only see about 4,000 stars with the naked eye, as it were, without any magnification. And, um, and so, you know, it's beautiful, but we know that the depth of space is there because we're taught that. And yet the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. And we had no idea how glorious it was until um, the telescope was um, invented and the uh, Hubble telescope has really um, astoundingly increased the glory that we can see of God's universe. So if anybody has lived life and you answer that question 
and Walter Cronkite is not the person doing it. I went to the museum in D.C. when it was still open a few years ago, and when I stumbled across an area that was kind of dedicated to Walter Cronkite, I was totally mesmerized. I'm like, I don't even need to spend time anywhere else here in this museum because I just was a huge fan even as a kid of Walter Cronkite. And when he said it, you knew it, you meant it, you believed it. And when he signed off every night, uh, I mean, I him and um, Paul Harvey. Of course, Paul Harvey was the radio. But those two men, mm-hmm. I just have the utmost respect for. You know, my moment would be uh, 9-11. Terrible tragedy. I hate it in every possible way. When I stumble across things that happened, and there's a docu-series now out on, uh, is it Amazon or Netflix about, um, is it called Tipping Point? Uh, and it looks back at 9-11. But I think the moment that was, the reflection, knowing we're fallible, knowing th- things can happen in a moment that just totally make our lives totally radically different. I, I think I would think 9-11, I think every time, what I felt that day, uh, just for days being stopped in my tracks and just thinking about the world. And it reminds me actually of your testimony where you talk about you had to come to the great realization that there was evil in the world. And I think 9-11 did that so radically for so many people. So, um, but yeah, everybody has to say Walter Cronkite. Can you say anybody else uh, but him? Yeah. And, and along with Walter Cronkite, uh, uh, do you remember Eric Severide? Maybe that shows you being a little bit older than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eric Severide used to give kind of the commentary at the end of CBS Evening News. Okay. And he was just a brilliant person who kind of put it all together. When I see the kind of journalism that or what passes as journalism today, and I think of the integrity of some of those folks, it's uh, we we're we're missing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, something. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, now this one's really teeing you up well because you do like humor. You like to tell a joke here and there. So what is your all-time favorite dad joke or stand-up comedian, their one particular comedy bit that they have that maybe they're known for or you love? Give us some comedy flavor. Brian Reagan okay. <laughs> does a thing about rating your pain. <laughs> He's making fun of doctors and and just, you know, having been a doctor and and he's saying, how would you rate it? Two enthusiastic thumbs up. And and uh, I, I, I think Brian Regan is, is just incredibly talented. So, yeah, he, he would he would be the one I've never seen him in person. Yeah, uh, but I, he's got to certainly love to. He's got a Netflix special that I think came out, I don't know, several months ago. It was at the Red Rocks and he had I don't know if he dyed his hair he did something bleached his hair but his hair was a whole lot lighter and the whole time I listened to him I couldn't get past uh, his hair because I thought his hair looks different and uh, he did have a great bit about mayonnaise I do remember that but I'm going to show you unfortunately this does nothing on audio but on video or I just discovered this dad joke the other day and it's a big eye in a classroom who's the teacher looking out at a little a bunch of little eyes and the eye says, the teacher says, good morning, pupils. And they reply, good morning, Miss Iris. And then at the bottom, it says, you'll never see a cornier joke than this. <laughs> How great is that joke? I texted my kid. Whenever I come across a goofy joke, I will text it to my kids. And a couple of my kids really liked it. So I thought, well, it's, it's maybe a bit cornier, but uh, yeah, it got some laughs. So, you know, it's not a joke. But on YouTube, they sometimes have compilations called Amazing Daddy Reflexes. Have you ever seen these? And no, but I'm looking it up as soon as we're done. Yeah. And, and 
these dads will be with their kids and a wall will collapse or the kid starts to fall. And these fathers without thinking leap into action to save their kids. And there's just something beautiful about that because um, it's, it's what, it's what God built us to do. Not that moms don't have incredible mommy reflexes sure. as, as well, but they, I think maybe dads, uh, get caught on video a little bit more. <laughs> no doubt about that. No doubt. Well, the last one, we're staying here a bit, but tell me about the current pair of shoes you were wearing, Matthew. I have no shoes on it. <laughs> wow. I thought you might say that. I was really wanting to hear some great story about shoes. Well, tell me about your socks. Uh, they're just black. <laughs> pretty plain huh and they match well, that's at good. least i i think that's when i real i realized uh, several years ago that i had gotten completely absent-minded was when i looked down and realized i had two different pairs of shoes on. <laughs> you know what's funny so i've gotten in as i get older i'm 52 i've gotten into socks and i love going to like marshall's or tj maxx or one of those kind of places and looking at their clearance socks section and they've got goofy random like you know, whatever. I'm like, it's the only chance I have of being hip and cool because I'm colorblind. I've got no style, but maybe the right pair of socks will make me look cool. And when I was over at Tessa's house the other night with her and Andy, I made a comment about uh, somebody walked in and they, I think it was a girl, like a, a preteen girl or whatever. And she had different pair of socks on. And I said, Oh, my daughter likes to do that. And Tessa said, Jeff, you like to do that. She goes, I've seen you wear a pair of socks that they didn't match. And I said, now, you know, what's funny about that. I do have a pair of blue basketball shoes. They're Nike, I think, and whatever they were my boys. And we kept like a lot of people, I think do have this little tub of socks that go missing. And so one day I was flipping through it and I'm like, I can match up some of these socks. So I saw these two pair of blue basketball socks and I'm like, I'm partnering those two up. And I thought, instead of giving them back to my boys, they're going to lose them. I'll keep them. Most of the time I'm wearing them. I got pants on. So you don't really know there's just two navy blue socks. But Tessa made note, and she thinks I just wear socks all the time that don't match. And I'm like, dang, I really got no chance of success here. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to tell you, with my kids from Africa, my granddaughter, who's six years old, uh, the area that they live in, the Kipsigis, uh, uh tribe is there, but also the Maasai. Those are the two most common tribes in, in the area where they are. And the Maasai, everybody knows because of their very colorful uh, mm. robes that they wear and uh, the Kipsigis, everybody knows because they win all the Olympics. Yeah, there you go. That's... In, in running. But neither tribe is afraid of color. Mm. And when I see my granddaughter with with, um, you know, plaid socks on and striped pants and then a dress with flowers and they just an explosion of colors. I think maybe Americans ought to get a little bit more comfortable yeah. with color. <laughs> Sounds like when you're at the movie theater, you see the Skittles or Starburst type commercials yeah. and they're very colorful. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, I want to talk to you real quick. So I told you we've been going through on Monday mornings, my one locker room, we're going through hope always. And when we meet, it is amazing. The thickness and heaviness in that room. This is our longest standing group. They've been meeting for over a decade. It's heavy. And every time we meet, we meet next week. I'm ready for guys to say, yep, I can sleep in. I could get up earlier and go to breakfast. I could go to work early. The one week, you know, that we're, we're doing your book, your book and the chapter suicide and Satan or God and suicide. I mean, it's like, it's just very black and white. The titles of those chapters. Um, it's real. It's hard. 
What would you say to people if they're going through Hope Always with a group of people knowing that that experience we're having is not unique? I'm sure that's most groups that talk about that book together. Yeah, I, I've got a friend who was doing the book with a group in uh, Lake Havasu, Arizona. And um, he said he had never seen uh, a group go through a book and get so real so fast. People talk about that, but um, that, it's, that it's actually happening. And, um, and there's, there's something cathartic about that. There's something that's healing about it. Jesus is not afraid to take on anything. <laughs> he just, um, there's no subject that the Lord um, hasn't thought through and that he doesn't want to meet us there no. and, and teach us and lead us out if needed, that type of thing. And so I, I wish more groups were studying it. I think there's a hesitancy um, to get real, as it were. I think that um, the nature of preaching over the last 50 years in America has taught people to come to church to hear exactly what they want to hear. And what what is more important is what they need to hear. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's get into your next book idea. So when we had dinner, when you were here, you tossed around with those of us having dinner, a little bit of your next book idea and wanted to bounce it off of us. So share a little bit about what's next. In talking about suicide and mental illness and, and that type of thing, I, I realized that um, that's, that's talking about the problem and you've got to know that there's a problem in order to address it. But the other side is, in what do you do about that? And, and in walking through groups, uh, teaching about what I've found that has kept myself on, on the track, has kept myself spiritually um, and mentally healthy and vital, um, I, wanted, I just want to share those things with other people. There's no magic in that. And yet every time I have taught this you know, kind of corpus of, of, of wisdom or knowledge, um, people really, really respond to it. And it just, it starts with putting God first, seeking first the kingdom of heaven. Then how do you listen to God? How do you talk to God? Sabbath, hospitality, generosity, gratitude, those types of things. And um, it's just a lot of fun to work through those people and to show kind of examples of how God has worked in my life and other people's lives and how he's working in non-believers' lives. I think it's an area that we don't talk about much, but when Jesus gave his first talk in the synagogue in Luke 4, he gets up and he says, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, etc. He sits down, he says, today you've seen this fulfilled, and everybody's like wanting to set him up with a new mega church and, and that sort of thing. And then he starts talking about how God is working in the lives of non-believers, and, and then they want to throw him off the cliff. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that we as believers have to um, talk about these things so non-believers recognize when God is working in their lives and can begin to look and give thanks in that direction. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, we'll have to talk offline. Me and me and one of our leaders are developing some stuff to, uh, we're going to do like a um, kind of class of sorts to teach people about really looking at how God's writing our story and what does it look like? Like I do here on the podcast when I ask typically, uh, what's your three minute testimony? Most of us have the more full blown 30 minute testimony. 
uh, and what does uh, that look like to help share our stories together, yada, yada, yada. Kara and I went to, it was kind of neat, last Sunday, we went to a graduation open house um, on the other side of Columbus, and uh, we decided on the fly to, to go to the Easton, which is a big shopping retail area. We ended up at a comedy club, and a guy I've gotten to know was doing a comedy night. He was in from New York City, and he did a thing where he, he had taught over COVID some comedy classes, and he let some of his students get five minutes on the mic and do their comedy routine. Several were really good, several were terrible, and everywhere in between, but then he you know, did his bit beforehand and after, and I just thought, man, there's something we could do with this with testimony. So a buddy Rob and I started dreaming, and we talked about it, and we're ready to do something like that because – uh, yeah, I love, I love a lot of the different things you're thinking about, which is another one of your gifts, Matthew. I think some people like Pat Morley, who we've had on here is really focused on men in every book he ever writes when he's all told and done, he's probably gonna write well over 30 books. He focuses on men, but you kind of bounce around and cover a bunch of different things. And I like that you can speak to a lot of different perspectives. I'm a generalist. Yeah. Yeah. So in that light, let me ask you this. This is a question I've stolen from a couple other places. And I like when this question gets asked, and I think it's very appropriate for you. What are you keeping your eye on in culture, in society, in the church, as you travel the country? What are you paying attention to that maybe other leaders, followers of Jesus are not paying attention to? What I am always looking for is authenticity. And I think that um, Jesus charges us with uh, developing our sense of discernment. He says, you know, we've got to be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And um, it's one of the reasons I respond to you and uh, the folks you hang out with. And, and so I'm, I'm always looking for genuine expressions of, of God's love and the, the body of Christ at work. And that does not necessarily mean that a church has a hundred acre parking lot. Um, it means it has, it is, it is building the kingdom of, of heaven in their town. So that, that's what I'm always looking for is that what I think is the genuine expression of Christianity um, at its, at its best. Hmm. I want to be around those kind of folks. And that's why I want to be on your, your podcast. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I want people I can green, glean from, learn from tag team with share thoughts and ideas that, you know, points us all closer to Jesus and, and working for the kingdom. So, so if people hear, hear this, Matthew, I mean, I can't say this enough. People uh, need to understand how accessible you are. You are like, ridiculously accessible it's it's hard for me to imagine some of the people i've gotten to know like yourself and who travel and get to speak a lot and have a platform it's hard to imagine someone more accessible like i don't even have to almost bother telling you about somebody i just know you're accessible um if someone hears this or the previous podcast or checks out something online or goes to right now media and sees what you've done there um where where would they hit a sweet spot with you where you said yeah this is how you can help propel something forward with Matthew and who he is in your variety of content? Well, the, the way that, that folks help that probably does the best is to go ahead and start um, studying one of the books uh, with a group at their church, whether that's reforesting faith or studying the Sabbath or, or that type of thing. And I, and I love, I, 
I love and I have to go and I have to preach about the Lord. So obviously invitations uh, from people are, are, are valued. I can't get to every single one of them. Unfortunately, you know, we have to turn people down or we have to put people off. I'm, I'm pretty much booked for the rest of this year and starting to be booked for a lot of, of next year, but I'll put people on the list and it's just a privilege to go and meet people, but it's really great to come into a community where people have already been studying. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing 101 Sabbath or 101 uh, trees in the Bible to, to, to jump to 201 and 301 level teaching, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matthew, that's it. That's a wrap. Um, again, thanks for coming on. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of a big deal to feel like you're my first returning guest. I got some others I want to do that with. I think we'll be doing more of this in the future. And as you said last time we were together, I, I can't wait for uh, I-75 to have a lot of tire and tread marks from uh, Lexington, Kentucky, heading to Springfield and other spaces in the Miami Valley. So I have much love for you, much respect. I'm glad we do get to call each other friend and say we're helping build the kingdom together. Likewise. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.